This is Brian the Dr. Doherty, the head coach at Springside Chestnut Hill Academy, and you are listening to More Than a Club podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Ready to rock. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast for episode seven of season two. Happy New Year's to all. And I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian. And we're grateful to be with you again as we make our way through these unique times together. I think we have another interesting show for you, highlighted by a very impressive guest. And I'm excited to get going. Coach Coop. Thanks, Bill. It's exciting to be in the office recording the podcast here in the morning, usually something we do at night. Wanted to say happy holidays to everybody out there. Happy New Year. And as we turn the page to 2021, I'm so grateful for this platform and project with you and excited for another fun conversation today. Today, like usual, we will touch on aspects of lacrosse for parents, players, and coaches. Joining us is another special guest, an old teammate and friend, Coach Brian Volker, whose resume is beyond reproach as a player, person, and coach. So Coach Volker, I'll give it a shot here to go through this long list of um, accomplishments, and then we'll welcome you to the show. So let's see, 2015 National Lacrosse Hall of Fame inductee as a great player, defenseman. Three-time All-American at Johns Hopkins University. Two stints with Team USA in 1994 and 1998. MLL World Champion with the Long Island Lizards and three World Indoor Championships with the Philadelphia Wings, captain in 1998. In your coaching career, an assistant at Princeton under the great Bill Tierney with a national championship under your belt, former head coach at the University of Pennsylvania, and since 2010, current head coach at Drexel University right here in Philly. Welcome, Coach. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We uh, you know, try to do this a couple different times, and it was good to be able to connect and get on here. Well, I know you're a humble guy. Did I miss anything in that long list of accomplishments? I think that's it. That's all the good stuff. I mean, there's there's some other, you know, not so great stuff probably in there. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, some of that stuff seems like a long time ago. But, yeah, that's that was the, the gist of it. And it was fun in researching. Well, I've known you for a long time. So, like, I didn't know you were a Gilman guy. And I'm a Calvert Hall, <laughs> Calvert Hall guy. We're not supposed to do this together, you know. We're buddy. not. We're not. But those, those are rivalries are long gone, you know. All right, for you, not me. I'm, I'm still ready to go after you over this Greyhound day. <laughs> All right, well, Coach Coop, you want to take us into our first segment? Yeah, Brian, we like to talk to guests and, and really uh, ask for multiple perspectives. So I think the first thing we'd like to ask you about is, you know, your perspective as a parent. So we like to have a, a youth sports hot topic for parents. And really, I would ask you, just tell us about your family um, and your role as a dad. I have two boys. Um, they're, they're young men now, I guess. Um, my son Jack is a, a junior at Drexel, uh, and my son Brendan um, started started at Georgetown uh, from our living room um, this fall. <laughs> um, they're both really good kids. I'm I'm super lucky. Um, I say it all the time. They got my wife's brains, um, and, and they're really bright kids, and they're really driven in the classroom. Um, you know, they're very different, um, and and in some ways they're like me in some ways they're they're like their mom and um but they're they're both different they do their their thing and um you know just proud of them they're really good kids and i'm lucky that my wife and i've done such a good job uh I, more my wife probably but um they're just really good kids so uh, just appreciative to have have them in, in my life and to see where they're going 
That's outstanding. Now, um, are they athletes, um, students focused in the arts? Uh, tell us just a little bit more about them and, um, and how that's been watching them grow. Yeah, so my son Jack's not an athlete. Um, he, he never really has been interested in it. Um, and for, you know, for me, in some ways it was tough, but also in some ways it maybe it was easier. Um, you know, he's always been into computers and he's like the, you know, the kid that like, if you ask him who invented the fork in the 1500s, he can tell you, I mean, he's got a, a, a memory, like it's unbelievable. He reads the books he reads. I can't even pronounce the authors. Um, he reads them for fun. Um, he's, and, and he's just like super, super intelligent. Um, and just a, you know, really good kid. Um, and it, you know, it's great that, you know, cause people ask me all the time, like, didn't you want him to do this or didn't you want him to do that? And for me, it's always been like, Hey, whatever you want to do, I'll help you do it. Um, I can't help him with a lot of the stuff that he's interested in, but, um, I, I definitely try. Um, and he's just such a, like I said, just a really good kid. My son, Brendan, um, it's weird. He's always been into sports. Um, but just recently he's like started to get into like watching sports, um, we didn't do a lot of that together. Um, you know, kind of grew up playing football and lacrosse. Um, he was never really in the club circuit. Um, he got into it a little bit late. Um, he kind of concentrated on football when it was football season and concentrated on lacrosse when it was lacrosse season. Um, you know, ended up having a really good senior year in football um, as, a, as a really small offensive lineman. Um, and then, um, the, you know, his spring season got cut short, but um, kind of got into the lacrosse a little bit late and went through the process um and is gonna gonna end up playing at georgetown um but he's another one he's a super bright kid um you know it's funny those two um kind of like go at each other about who got what act score and how many times it took him to get the score and you know some of that stuff so he's he's also really really bright kid really into academics um you know um look at some really good nescac schools in the division three level and and also um ended up applying to georgetown and getting in so um, but yeah, they're, they're both, you know, wonderful, wonderful young men. And I'm again, hold my breath that they keep, keep moving in the right direction and keep, you know, making good decisions and, 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 you know, they're going to do well in school and figure out what they're going to do after it. How did you like the college process of going around and looking at all the schools and checking them out? I just got finished that with my daughter and I found it fascinating. This, the yeah, it was fascinating. My son, Jack looked at some, some, you know, he looked at like a ton of crazy good academic schools. We actually went out to California and looked at some schools out there. Um, I, I talk about it all the time. We, we visited Caltech and we walked around that campus and I was like, I can't believe there's a college that looks like this. <laughs> wow. um, it's in Pasadena. It's the most beautiful campus I've ever seen in my life. There's palm trees. And uh, I mean, it's just, it looks like a golf course. It's an, it's incredible. The whole, the whole campus is amazing. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting process. And for him, like having sports not be a part of it was, you know, I could help him with a lot of things and some things I couldn't help him with. Um, and then with my, and he applied to a lot of schools. Um, I don't know if most kids would have wrote as many essays as he would have. Um, uh, and then, you know, ended up at Drexel, which was kind of, kind of interesting. Um, and then Brendan, we kind of knew wasn't the kid that was going to apply to a lot of different places, but we, you know, we went out to Colorado, looked at some places out there, tried to figure out how important lacrosse was. Um, he got kind of hooked on MIT, um, cause they were, they were recruiting him pretty heavy. Um, and he didn't get in um, and then kind of restarted the process a, a little bit and really loved Georgetown when he when he visited there with my wife. Um, he visited Virginia and Georgetown and he, he thought Virginia was too old, um, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, and then uh, and then visited Georgetown and loved it and applied and, and got in and then, um, you know, 
Coach Warren, Kevin, uh, who, who I'm pretty good friends with, uh, I think needed another defenseman in the class and ended up um, kind of letting him uh, come, come on the team. So we're really excited. It was, it was a cool process. It was good to, you know, be able to give some insight, um, you know, coming from, from where I know what, you know, admissions are looking for and some of that stuff. But it was also cool to kind of let those guys figure out what they wanted and, where, you know, where they wanted to be. Any future thoughts as a lacrosse coach and then going to be a lacrosse dad watching Georgetown play? Tony Resch used to say to me, boy, as a Yale guy watching my son play at Yale, sometimes I'm thrilled and sometimes I'm biting my tongue that my son's not in there. Not yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my wife, uh, you know, she's the one that like needs to understand, um, you know, like it, it, he's got to earn his, it is playing time. He's got to work hard, you know, like every kid, he, he's got a long road ahead of him to figure out, you know, what his role is on the team and, you know, how he's going to you know, kind of scratch out playing time early or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I joke about it. I try to get Kevin to scrimmage us, um, you know, cause that's probably the only time I'll see, see him play in person. Um, but now all the, all the college games are kind of cataloged and, and we, you know, I can, I can pop on and, and watch any of those on huddle and, you know, watch any of his games or, you know, some of the scrimmages, I guess, uh, if there is scrimmages and if there is games uh, this year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, um, it, it's, it is a hard thing with my job. I mean, I would love to be able to get to see him play more when he was talking about, he was talking about going to Williams and I was like, I'll never be able to, you know, right. see a game, uh, even MIT, some of the games on their schedule, I was like, I'm gonna have a hard time, you know, even like being able to like get up there and watch him play. But Georgetown, I might be able to, you know, figure out, you know, if they have a night game or we have a night game and they have a day game or vice versa, uh, might be able to sneak down and watch him play. So. And it was refreshing. My son isn't into lacrosse either. Well, your son's a genius. My guy's a outdoorsman and a hunter and a fisherman. So, you know, um, I'm used to being around men at school whose sons play and they share that in common. And so many of my friends, our friends, you know, have sons who went on to play big time. So kind of nice as a kindred spirit to talk with you to say, you know what, there's other dads out there. And like you, I support my kiddo and in, in his interest They're not my interest. I hold on for dear life as I'm out there in the woods fishing and fly fishing and and learning my way, but he gets to be in charge of something. So it's giving me a different. Now, how does your son get into that? If, if you're, if you're not good at it, because my wife's like, Oh, you should take your kids fishing. I'm like, I don't know how to fish. I don't know what we'd sit there with a, you know, a line in the water and catch nothing. Probably that wouldn't be fun. So how's your son get into that? That's a great question. It turned out that we went fishing once, which I wasn't very good at. And he loved it. And then my dad is, is an outdoorsman. My dad is a beautiful sailboat in the Chesapeake. And he went sailing with my dad. And that was the end of that. He's like, this is it going to dive over the side of this thing and scrub the hole and do everything pop tells me to do. And, <laughs> but it's been a great experience for me. Like I've really grown in being a non-lacrosse dad and saying, I'm like you, you mentioned so well, I'm going to help my kid be what he wants to be. And that's not what I was. And I don't know what I'm doing, but let's go do it, kid. I'm well, and again, I, I heard it a lot and it's like, don't you want your kid to do this? And why don't you do this? And, and to be honest with you, from experience, you know, the, the kids where the parents, the parents want it more than the kid don't end up really working out at our level. That's for sure. Um, and, you know, I've always tried to like say, you know, if you want to go out and play catch with a football or if you want to do this, or you want to do that, you know, with, with Jack, I was like, I couldn't help you with like dungeon and dragons or the computer stuff. My, I mean, he built a computer when he was in like ninth grade or 10th grade, he built his own computer. He, I mean, he, some of that stuff I can't help him with, but you know, we would help him any way we could like um, so, but it's just for me, you know, the, the parents that really, pushed and pushed and pushed those kids end up not working out usually at our level anyway so it was great to see both of them go through the process figure out what they wanted um and again i think they're they're doing great so i'm, I'm super happy about it good work dad that leads us right into coach coop's thoughts 
Yeah, next thing we want to hear about is just, you know, what does this life look like at Drexel uh, as a student? You know, what does campus look like? And then for you as a coach with your boys, you know, what's going on? Yeah, so Drexel student life right now, um, and we were all remote in the fall, um, and there were a bunch of kids, upper, the upperclassmen that have like off-campus housing that were around. Um, so we were actually were able to get together with some of those guys for a couple of weeks. Um, we did some testing and we went through some pod groups. Uh, it was a 20, 22, 23 kids that we went through some pods with and did some stick work and conditioning. And just, it was good to just kind of be out on the field with those guys and see them. Um, I think as a coach, you take that for granted sometimes. Um, and it is just great to like be out on the field with guys and like, you know, joke around and, Isn't and, it? <laughs> and, and talk to them and just be, be with them. Um, so we're crossing our fingers that coming up here in January, middle of January, we're supposed to get kids back on campus and again, start some pods up and, and then start real practice. Um, again, I, I think the, everybody's talking about being flexible and if that happens and all that stuff. So, um, you know, just take it every day, you know, take what you can get, I guess. And, um, if we can get out there, we can get out there. If we can have a close to a full season, we'll do that. If we can't, we'll figure out, you know, what we can do. So how are you seeing potential players during this time? Uh, like recruiting? Right. Yeah, so we did it all, um, you know, we did it all basically off the computer and, you know, some recommendations for with, you know, high school and club coaches. And um, it's definitely a different way to, to go about the process. Uh, you know, Steve and Tucker, my two assistants, I thought did a great job kind of narrowing stuff down and, you know, getting highlights to me of kids that we're, we're interested in. Um, it, you definitely have to do a little bit more homework. I mean, I, I love seeing kids play in person. We, I think, you know, before this year, we probably had never recruited a, a kid that we hadn't seen play in person, you know, maybe one or two off of a, you know, a high school, you know, or somebody that we know really well recommendation, but, um, it's been a different process. Um, and I, I will say like the tournaments have done a good job filming and the club teams have done a good job with that stuff. Um, you know, the high school coaches have done a good job kind of saying, Hey, this kid's still out there. You might want to take a look at him. Um, that stuff's not too, too different, but, um, it, it's been a different process doing it, you know, just totally off of a computer and watching film. Do you have any different advice for anxious players or parents through this strange process? Yeah. Well, I mean, the advice I always give is like, take a deep breath. Um, you know, things will work out. Um, it's easier from my side of the desk to say that stuff. We're a team that tends to go slower, uh, in the process. We tend to recruit later in the process. Um, so, you know, and part of it's cause of who I am. Um, and, and I see my, my kid, my own kids when they went through the process. I mean, I joke about it all the time. You know, I, I really think you should probably go to your junior prom before you like choose a college. Um, so, you know, we, we tell kids to take a deep breath. We tell the parents to take a deep breath. Um, but it, it has been harder in this process because the rosters have been jammed up with kids. Um, you know, we have five, five, four or five seniors that uh, we're supposed to graduate that are coming back. Um, we'll have another wave of that, um, you know, in the, in the classes behind them. Um, we have more kids on our roster than we've ever had. And, and it's probably not a great time to do that with finances. Um, so it is a tough process. Um, the 22s, I think, are in a, in a tough spot. I think by the time the 23s come around, like we'll have kind of figured it out a little bit better and roster management and some of that stuff. Um, but the, the rosters are, are, are pretty jammed up at a lot of places. And I'm hearing a lot of places saying they have roster caps and stuff like that. So it's going to make it a little bit tougher for kids. But I, you know, I say it all the time, like, 
Um, if you're a good player and, you know, you're a good student and, and you make it easy for college coaches, um, that, that things tend to work out for you. So, and there's a lot of good places out there. Great insights, coach. So now we move on to the, my favorite part of the show, which is like the coach part and the X and O's. And while I'd love to go through defensive X and O's with you, as I was doing my research, getting ready for the show and talking to so many of our old teammates and reading some articles, what kept standing out was what a competitor you were during your playing days. I heard terms like farmer, old school farmer. Coach Resch said a hammer, just a natural competitor. And I'm wondering, where did that come from? Where did, where did you learn to step on the field and be a, you know, a different guy? Um, I, you know, I don't know if that, some of that stuff's learned. I mean, I, when I grew up, I just love sports. I love competing. Um, you know, I, I, have always tried to balance it where I'm not the guy that like, can't look, you know, can't lose like, and, and is a sore loser. I mean, I think that's a horrible thing to be in sports. Um, but I've always wanted to win, you know, whether it's, um, you know, growing up playing youth football or, you know, I, I played a lot of sports. I played baseball. I was terrible at it. I couldn't hit, but, you know, I figured I, there was other things I could do to, to help win. Um, I remember, you know, in 1994 or 1998, when I tried out for the world team, coach Tierney was asking some of the D guys to play with short sticks. I guess it was 98. Um, and people were like, why are you doing that? Like, and I was like, cause that's what the coach asked to do. And that's kind of the way I was brought up. Um, I, I grew up with my grandfather. There's people around the lacrosse world that knew my grandfather, Mr. Larry. Um, he was kind of a legend around Gilman and Hopkins a little bit. And um, he, he's from Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and was kind of a no nonsense. You know, I joke about it all the time when you hear parents like complain about, oh, the, the, the coach doesn't like my kid. He's not playing. Um, that, that stuff never would have flown in my house. Um, you know, if I would have come home and said, you know, Hey, the, the, I'm not playing. The coach doesn't like me. He would look right at me and said, you know, well, work harder, do more, be better. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I was brought up. Um, I think part of it is maybe it's just innate, like, like anything. Um, there's things that coaches can, can bring out in kids. Um, but there's also things that some kids have and don't have. Um, I've just always loved playing sports and love competing. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's much more fun to win. So um, and, and I've always been the guy that's, if a coach said, do this, you know, I, I would do it. And I do scratch my head. Cause I feel like even at the pro level, I was, you know, the, 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 the tackle for the, the guy, Peters, they were like, can we, can he play guard? And he was like, no. And I was like, I, I don't understand that. Like, to me, that, that makes no sense. Right. You're a professional. Uh, you're getting paid a lot of money. And if the coach tells you to, you know, be the punter, then you should be the punter. Right. So, um, that's the way I was brought up. I love the old school in you, coach. We share that. I agree with like everything you said. You should be able to play multiple positions. Yes, sir. Whatever the coach wants. And um, do you find that hard today that times have changed a little bit or do you still find it? Yeah. I mean, I do think times have changed and you have to, you have to be able to, you know, change with them. Um, and there's certain things, you know, that, um, that, that when, you know, I look back at the coaches that I had that were great coaches and great people that I would never do anymore because of the, the way quote, quote unquote things are. Um, but I also think kids, kids are the, you know, kids are very similar in a lot of ways too. I mean, they want to win, they want to be good. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of kids, you know, now that I coach that like work really hard and do things on their own. And, you know, I have example after example of kids that like, you know, weren't great players or didn't have the role they wanted to as freshmen, you know, and then left and, and were great players and, you know, we're captains and, and kind of figured things out and worked through a lot of stuff. And again, you hope as a coach that you have helped them do that stuff, but some of the stuff they, they also have to, you know, do on their own. I mean, we're both buddies with Tony Rash. So as 
the later years of my LaSalle coaching career, he was like, we have got to teach these guys to compete. They don't necessarily know how to compete. And I said, well, how do you think we should do that? And he said, we should compete in every drill. We should keep score in our drills. One-on-one -on -one should be over, ste, keep score, losers have a consequence. Like run, run to the fence or back. Do you do any of those things? That we do a bunch of that stuff. And, and it, I think, you know, if you do it all the time, sometimes that can, can wear on kids um, and, and you don't get stuff out of your practice. But uh, we, we, even when we, you know, we've done half fields where, you know, you compete off offense against defense and for a sprint or something. And, and even if the sprint doesn't, you know, kill them, it's like th they have a lot of fun with that stuff and they hoot and holler and they, they get after it. I do think, you know, the club circuit in a lot of ways is great because kids play a lot of lacrosse, but sometimes, you know, I don't think the kids even know the score of the games when they play that stuff. So that can be tough, um, you know, getting kids in your program that don't really understand that process. Um, you know, we never had that, um, you know, back in the old day, we never, we never had that. You had summer league, right. And summer league wasn't as structured, um, but there was a, a definite winner and loser. Um, so um, that, that's definitely things you have to do as a coach and you got to figure out, you got to balance it. Same thing, balance it. Like, can you do it all the time? I'm not sure, but you have to have that stuff in your, in your practices. You have to figure out like when to put in stuff. Hey, it's the end of a game, you know, we're winning by one or we're losing by one, you know, and we have, and you have to practice that stuff, like how to win it or how to lose it, <laughs> how not to lose it. Right. Um, so we, 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 you know, do that stuff all the time and try to balance it and figure it out. In recruiting, do you look for guys who play other sports? I think other sports often teach you to be competitive. You know, getting out there, playing football in the heat of August and then still dealing with slamming into guys in the cold of November, you know, that makes you tough. It makes you – Yeah, compete. I mean, we uh, again, and I say it, like the problem now is we make it hard as college coaches for kids to do that stuff. I mean, with our November recruiting, it's tough to be a, you know, a football or a soccer player that's really good and their team's in the playoffs and, you know, you don't see the kid um, or, you know – even, even maybe even a basketball kid that, 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 you know, school that the season has already started. Um, I mean, we want it. And again, I think, you know, you, you get to our level um, and you focus so much on lacrosse and you, you know, you expect kids to be year round lacrosse players. Um, it's kind of a, a bright spot when, when kids have the upside, when they haven't played lacrosse year round, when they're not burnt out, you know, you hear a lot of that stuff. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really good players that like never make it at the college level. Um, and I don't think it's because they're not skilled enough uh, or have to have the talent. It's maybe they just don't want to. Um, and that, and again, I think that's okay. Right. Like, again, as a parent, you got to figure that stuff out. Like, what does your kid want? Um, if he's a really good player and he doesn't want to play um, that doesn't make him a bad kid. Right. Um, so um, that is a tough thing. And, and again, we, we make it harder as college coaches for kids to play, um, again, back in the old day, you know, you played three, four sports, um, you know, and figured it out. Um, I do think it's a bad thing that that club has been so important. And I say it now, like we we have a bunch of kids on our team where I'd have a hard time figuring out where they went to high school. I can tell you exactly where they're from and what club they played for um, three, four five years ago. I could tell you where every kid went to high school. Um, so um, there's good and bad with that stuff. So to press you a little bit here on competitiveness, are there two moments, one as a coach and one as a player, where you were pushed to your competitive limit, where you were like, Brian Volker is in the corner here, and this is rough, and this is what I was built for. My, my grandfather would be very proud of this moment. Let's get it on. Um, I'm, you know, I think, look, every athlete, and again, I've, you know, I've played in a lot of games and a lot of different sports, and obviously a lot of it's been lacrosse. Um, I, you know, I mean, one of our, my most proudest, you know, moments was the 1998, you know, championships, 
Um, uh, you know, we had a big lead against Canada in the, in the championship game and, and, uh, you know, they came roaring back and, and scored a bunch of goals in a row and tied it up. And, um, you know, we went back and forth in overtime. The overtime there is not, not sudden victory, sudden, I guess you can't say sudden death anymore. So there was a couple goals scored in overtime and we ended up winning the game. Um, you know, it, it was a, a, a crazy, you know, the, one of the best games in lacrosse history and, you know, all that stuff. But as a competitor, uh, the swings in that game were, you know, totally amazing and totally crazy. Um, so, I mean, I think that's probably one that like, you know, pumps off my, uh, the top of my head as a, as a, as a player, um, as a coach, again, um, you know, been, been through a lot of, you know, just different stuff. And, you know, I guess for me, probably the, the most, you know, besides like my first team when I was at Penn that made the NCAA tournament, I mean, that was a really cool feeling being in a, in a locker room, uh, listening to the selection show with a, with a bunch of kids. And I kind of had an idea we were going to make it and they had no idea and we made it. And, um, you know, the, just, I, I still get goosebumps, you know, thinking about that feeling. That was really cool. Um, when I was at Drexel, we, we ended up, you know, going over to Franklin field and beating Penn and, uh, in the, in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, that's probably my, my high moment as a, as a coach. Um, you know, we, we were down a little bit and the great coaching move I had was have our face-off guy win, you know, a bunch of face-offs <laughs> in a row and go down and score uh, right before halftime. And it really, you know, kind of catapulted us to win that game. Um, so I, I, those are a couple things that I can think of. Um, but again, I think, you know, if you are a competitor, you have stuff in practice and you have stuff in pickup games, you know, pick up basketball. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can learn and, and take out of. And, you know, I, I think I'm retired maybe from pickup basketball with the pandemic right now. Um, and, and, you know, as old as I am, but um, I mean, I remember some wars on, a, you know, on a basketball court between like, you know, really good friends and people that I know and, you know, the crazy stuff happens like, you know, on the court and then you're, you know, you're going off and like buying the guy lunch and hanging out with them and stuff. So, um, but I think that's what you have to have, right. You have to want to win playing pickup. You have to want to win, you know, doing whatever. And then if you don't win, then you can't, you can't be a sore loser. You got to like, just put that stuff behind you and try to win the next one. And you gave me a funny memory with your pickup basketball games back in like 08, 09 with Tucker and his classmates, we would play morning basketball at LaSalle preseason by our neighborhoods so Newtown versus Flowertown or Glenside versus you know Havertown anyway it, the final championship was Newtown where I'm from against Flowertown which where coach Resch is from so he had all his Flowertown boys and I had all my Newtown yuppie boys and we went at it it went to overtime and we were all late for homeroom so we all got detention so coach Resch and I joined the guys and said you know what <laughs> we'll just go to detention with you guys but had to finish the game, and we both had a win. I forget who won, but it's the first time I got detention as an educator. So That's hilarious. Uh, and, Brian, I, I was getting goosebumps hearing both your memories. I was in the stands at Hopkins for the USA-Canada game in 98 uh, with my dad. And then for your NCAA tournament game, it was Mother's Day, I believe. I took my mom to Pub and Kitchen in the city and uh, asked them to put on the Drexel Penn game and proceeded to kind of ignore my mom and, and just watch your game. So that was a classic. Um, well, I'm not, glad you took your mom out and didn't just come to the game. That would that's that would have been a bad story. She thought I was going to cancel on her altogether. So um, we got to go out in the city. So she loved that. Uh, another topic we love to talk about is culture um, and really asking people what that means to them. And and our question for you is how do you and your coaches 
go about instilling culture at Drexel, whether it's uh, traditions, books you read, phrases that mean something, routines, and any direction that you guys take that. We'd love to hear about. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is we try not to play too many games. I think co coaches sometimes can, you know, get a little bit too much into the, you know, the head games. And, you know, I do know, like, I I'm not a big, like, uh, reader of other college coaches, you know, or coaches. And I don't think, because I do think you have to be yourself. Um, and I think there's a lot you can take from other coaches. Um, but the bottom line is you have to be yourself. And, and that's one of the things that we really try, you know, and, and, you know, your coaching staff and your team always has a different personality. Um, and, and you just, you know, you have to be yourself. And I think kids can see through when you're not. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things that, you know, we've always trying to do and I've always tried to do as a staff. And again, I've learned from some, in, you know, incredible coaches and some of the best in the game. And, you know, even go back to my high school football days, some great coaches, um, you know, again, I think they all, you know, the really successful ones, um, you know, they, they're, they stuck to their own personality. Um, so I think that's one of the things um, we've done some stuff. I mean, we, you know, I think those, you know, the guys that run that program um, we've, you know, done stuff with them and they've done some really good things. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff with our guys um, again at the college level, you know, you're with your guys, you know, more than just the two hours on the field. And that's the one, you know, one part of the culture that we always try to kind of set up is guys doing things on their own, coming up and watching film on their own, coming up sure. and shooting on their own, getting on a wall. Um, I'm a big believer in a two hour or less practice. Um, by the end of the year, we probably only practice an hour and a half. I'm like, if you haven't gotten it yeah. by now and you're not in shape by now, you're not probably not going to get it. Um, but we really try to instill like to be a great lacrosse player, um, and to be the, you know, to be a great lacrosse team, you guys are gonna have to do more things on your own. Um, you know, you can go out on your own and get a hundred shots, um, in, in 30 minutes, and it might take you a, a week and a half in a, in a, you know, in a team environment to get the same amount of shots. Um, so we've really tried to do that. And, and a lot of it's just from seeing, you know, as a coach and a player, the really successful players, you know, you know, guys on the wings, I joke about it all the time. We used to, we used to drive up from Baltimore, you know, Gary Gate and Tommy Marichek um, would be the last guys off of the, off of the floor. Um, and we had to drive home, you know, in, at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at, at night. Um, and, and a couple of us were like, let's go get in the car. And those guys were out there like playing with their sticks and getting a couple extra shots in and, you know, um, you know, I, I coached AJ Hogan at, at Johns Hopkins. You know, he was a four-time All-American, and the, the kid always had a stick in his hand. He rode a bike with his lacrosse stick in his hand, and we actually had to tell him, "Don't go out and shoot as much because, like, <laughs> you know, you're going to make yourself tired." And um, so, I, you know, we've I've always tried to instill like, "Hey, come up, you know, play music, take your shirts off, you know, impress the girls, how hard you shoot, and all that stuff." But like, and have some fun with it, but do things on your own to be a better player. Uh, that's how you're going to like really raise your game. Um, so we, that's one of the things we've always instilled in our program. All right, coach. So our next section is kind of to get to know you and ask you a bunch of questions. So my first thought and my first question for you is our Baltimore background. So where were you a youth guy? I was a Cockeysville guy that led me to Calvert Hall and then Loyola. You were a what youth guy that led you to Gilman and then the Hopkins. Talk me through. Yeah, that. I, I grew up in Parkville, which isn't known for, uh, you know, their, their lacrosse power, like the, the powerful Cockeysville teams were. Um, 
but um, yeah, I mean, the, the neighborhood I grew up was really blue collar. Um, I, you know, I ended up going to the, the preppiest probably school in Baltimore uh, for, for, <laughs> for middle school and high school. Um, but, you know, it was a really great kind of dynamic and dichotomy, you know, having this, you know, more blue collar background and then going to a place like Gilman um, and, you know, kind of seeing, you know, another part of the, the world, you know, quote unquote, um, but yeah, Park, Parkville was a great place to grow up. Um, there's a, a good friend of mine that played that I played club with, Dave Linticum. Um, you know, was a great goalie at Towson and a great goalie from Mount Washington. Um, you know, we we joke all the time about our Parkville ties. Um, it's there's not a lot of lacrosse guys from there, um, but you know, the ones that are that are out there are pretty good. So, you once said of your Gilman days, I played on many good teams, but never a great one. Yeah, I mean, you know, again. Um, we had, you know, coach, I had Jody Martin as my high school coach. He was a really good coach and a, and a, a guy that I keep in touch with to this day. I just talked to him the other day on the phone, just a great person, um, you know, really helped kind of me kind of figure th some things out, figure out where I wanted to go to college. Um, always wanted to see us do better. Um, we had, we had some good teams, but never great ones. Um, you know, back in my day, Calvert Hall had some really good teams. Loyola had some really good teams. Um, you know, we were never quite at that level um and it drove me crazy um but you know we we did some good things and and you know one of one of the things Gilman's such a great place I mean I was on a great football team um and the coaches there were incredible um and the experience that experience was was amazing um I mean I'm still really close with a lot of my Gilman you know buddies I have you know a lot 10 15 20 really close friends still from Gilman these days and it's a great place. It's an amazing place. I, I took a lot of things from it. Um, and, uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have changed anything. I mean, it's a, it's just a great part of my background and a great part of my, you know, all my friendships. So me and you get it. Cause we're both MIA guys, but some of our listeners don't necessarily know what it was like for us. So you want to give them a, a brief outline of what it was like to every day have Loyola Gilman boys, Latin, yeah, I mean, you know, back in those days, um, you know, if you weren't from Baltimore or Long Island or Syracuse, um, you probably weren't getting recruited. I mean, there was a couple kids popping out of Philly, uh, you know, a couple kids popping out of New Jersey. Every once in a while, a kid would come out of somewhere else. But back in those days, it was like, you know, the guys that we all played with all went to, you know, big time Division One schools. Um, and you look back on them, they might even, some of them might have not even been good players, um, but they ended up going there because they played in the MIA and they started, you know, at a place like Loyola or, or Calvert Hall or Gilman. Um, so um, it, it, but it was, you know, some of the top teams like day in and day out and there weren't very many breaks, um, but it was great. I mean, it was, it was great competing against those guys. And, um, you know, it's funny because I wasn't very friendly with a lot of the the other teams I know now with guys playing on club teams, kids are really friendly with guys. I wasn't very friendly with, you know, the Calvert hall guys, but I know a lot of those guys that you played with, you know, now. Um, and, you know, the Loyola guys, I know a lot of those guys and I've become, you know, more friendly with them after, after high school, I guess um, things were, you know, tense back in those days, you know, through the football rivalries and the lacrosse rivalries and guys that played other sports, wrestling and basketball and stuff. So um but it was it was a cool. I mean, Baltimore was great back then. There was a lot of you know a lot of cool cool stuff that went went on. Um, you know, the summer league, the Lock Raven summer league. You know, a lot of guys don't know what that was. That was a really cool thing to you know go out there and play and get your T-shirt and you know what color team were you on and stuff like that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a lacrosse powerhouse like we just talked about, but you know, when I went to Gilman, kind of figured out what that stuff was. I mean, I, honestly, growing up, I knew what Calvert Hall was because I grew up a couple miles from there, but I didn't know what, you know, boys Latin was. I didn't really know what Gilman was um, until I went there. So um, yeah. Good memories for us, coach. I was meeting my parents on 95. They're older, so they didn't want to necessarily get together. We met at the Maryland house, right? And we had Christmas in the parking lot of the Maryland house on 95. But my dad gave me an envelope full of old photos. And in there was me on the green team of Lock Raven Summer League. And I have my Calvert Hall helmet. But in the photo, there's three other guys on your team. And one has a Gilman helmet on. One has a Delaney High School helmet on. They were the days, and we were all just getting after it. And what I remember about those Lock Raven days is, like, if your goalie didn't show up, then, like, I'll play goalie, right? I'll be an attackman. Yeah. yeah, and and I do remember, you know, the thing I joke about now, and we're talking about parents. You know, those were the days when parents, like they they dropped you off, and they didn't really go sit at the game. <laughs> totally or, right. Definitely didn't sit at the practices. Um, you know, like you had football practice, you got dropped off, and then you know when it was over, you hope you hope your I hope for me, I hope my grandfather was there already, <laughs> and he wasn't like a couple minutes late. Um, but yeah, nobody nobody sat in their their folding chair and watched all the practices and all the games and you know all that stuff. Um, and I think in some ways that was good. You could just go out there and run around and do your thing. And, you know, it was, it was good to get a little bit of a break. Yeah, I also remember as you were talking, you could be five and five at Calvert Hall and go play nine and one Gilman and it would be a bloodbath. Like it was just no, no guarantee. Usually it was the other way around nine and one Calvert Hall, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's there, there were some, some, some good matchups back in those days and there was a lot of rivalries. So Brian, you mentioned uh, Mr. Larry, your grandfather, uh, who are some other influential coaches or role models along the way? Yeah, well, again, going back, you know, I just I mentioned Jody Martin. I mean, he's he's been a big part of, you know, my career, my life. Um, just a great person. Um, still involved in lacrosse, you know, uh, to this day. Um, you know, Sherm Bristow was my high school football coach. Um, he's actually the reason I went to Gilman. He, he grew up in Parkville and grew up with my uncle and my, knew my grandfather. So that's how I got to Gilman. Um, and then, uh, you know, Nick Schloeder, uh, Mr. Schloeder was a, a legendary coach, football coach down in, you know, in Baltimore and, um, you know, went to college with, with George Young from the Giants and uh, just had a great, great background. He was from another New Jersey guy, you know, kind of plopped into this world of Gilman. It was just like a different, you know, different old, talk about old school, the oldest of old school at a, at a, you know, at a very different place. Um, but it was just great. Um, and then, you know, when I went to, when I went to Hopkins, I got recruited by coach Tierney as a, he was an assistant coach there um, and got to work for him. Coach Zimmerman's obviously been a, a big part of my life. Um, and then Tony Seaman, you know, was my coach and I, and I worked for him. Um, and then, you know, the other, to, to be honest with you, and, and Billy knows, I mean, um, you know, I take a lot of, you know, kind of what I do and um, even the year, I coached in the pros for the, the Baltimore Bayhawks for a year. I took a lot of what Tony Resch uh, did with us with the wings um, and, and, and try to put a lot of that stuff, the drills, the attitude, you know, the, the, the way you coach, you know, kids. Um, Tony was, a you know, and is, you know, a, a great person and, 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 a, and a big part of some of the stuff that I've done. That's a hell of a list. It's a great list. Yeah, <laughs> I've been, you know, super blessed. So many of the names you rattled off like have been influential in my life too. Like Z Coach Zimmerman once said to me, because he came over to Loyola for just one year with Coach Cottle, and he used to say to me, Billy, all this X and O stuff is just, there's genius in simplicity. And I'd say, 
Yeah, you're right, Coach. I've, that's stayed with me to this day when I start getting two Baltimore-y X and O. Tony will step in and be like, remember those Coach Zimmerman comments? Let's just run by people and not get run by Bill, okay? Let's just stop this silliness. So how about Hopkins? Like, you played in the glory years. I mean, there were so many years. And I used to go um, – I was friends with the Morrill family. They were my neighbors growing up. So that's a whole legendary Hopkins family from dad all the way through the boys. And I would go over. Well, with I think from maybe even great grandfather. I know grandfather. Um, I think there's a couple of generations of moral that were great at Hopkins. And I'd never seen a family so intense and care so much about one team and its program. They would, you might lose and they'd go home and the dad would go upstairs and slam the door and they were really bent. What was well, it like? Un to be at fortunately and unfortunately Hopkins has a lot of those, um, you know, the, there's a lot of families like that where there's, you know, dads and grandfathers and, uh, you know, the, they're, you know, when we were there, you know, people always joke about like guys calling up, you know, giving you man up plays that that's only half joking. I mean, there were older guys doing that really? stuff. Um, and it's part of what makes it so great, but it's part of it, what makes it so tough. What was it like to be a part of that deep tradition? I mean, Syracuse and Hopkins, maybe no in Carolina, those three programs have such a deep, long, rich tradition. And you were not, you were right in the middle of it. And in the locker room, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, growing up in Baltimore, I went to a lot of games at Homewood. It's one of the reasons I probably went there. Um, I mean, the only other place that I honestly really wanted to go was North Carolina and I didn't get recruited by them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I still talk to coach Klarman and coach, coach Scroggs about that, that stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, good, all good stuff, but, um, I, I honestly don't know if I could have seen myself going any, anywhere else. Um, I went to a lot of, a lot of those games, um, saw a lot of great, you know, talent, um, and games, you know, on Homewood, um, when I got the chance to go there, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget my, my grandma and, you know, popping champagne when, when coach Zimmerman came over to my house to offer me, you know, a scholarship cause I wasn't gonna be able to go without one. Um, and I, we, you know, we, no, my grandparents didn't drink at all. So I'm like, well, they don't even know what this is <laughs> like champagne. I'm like, you know, but I, I, that's a day that I remember. I mean, it was, a, it was great. And again, as lucky as I've been to be a part of a place like Gilman, um, you know, the friendships I've made at Hopkins, the experiences I had at Hopkins, my wife is a Hopkins girl. Um, you know, it just it, an amazing thing. Um, we were the first class, my class was the first class, you know, to not win in a long time. Uh, we went to the national championship in 1989, um, and lost to Syracuse. And again, one of the, the greatest games kind of of all time. Um, it's, I could probably recite the game and it still drives me crazy. Um, but, um, I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome being part of that. It was awesome, you know, going down and, and playing, you know, Carolina won up my senior year and playing against guys that you knew and, um, it just, you know, being a part of that, playing games on Homewood, um, that was an incredible thing. And again, the friendships, um, you know, I'm still, again, still very close um, to, to my, you know, classmates and, and a lot of my teammates. Uh, we do some things to try to, you know, stay together and, and do things. You can't do get togethers anymore, unfortunately. Hopefully that stuff ends soon, but like, you know, dinners and, and that stuff. And it's just the friendships that I made there. And again, I was lucky enough. Um, probably the best thing that happened to me is meet my wife my freshman year and um you know uh her, her the things she's done for me and and it, you know just can't even can't even put them into words so it's a great experience so you mentioned the 1989 championship that was my next question i can tell it's a sore spot but for a lot of our listeners they don't know that what an amazing game that was could you give us the highlight version for our listeners and why it's still so hard today 
Well, the highlight version is, um, you know, we, we had had a great season. We beat Syracuse early in the year. I probably had the best game I had ever played um, against Syracuse in the regular season. Um, and I got, I, I covered Paul Gate um, a lot and did a really good job on him. Um, we had one loss that year to, I think, Towson. And uh, I, I still, those guys cut off the ball when they beat us. And I still give those guys a hard time about that. But I think it was the first time we ever, Hopkins had ever lost to Towson. And we went through the playoffs, um, matched up with Syracuse, played a really good North Carolina team in the semifinals and knew we were going to play Syracuse in the championship. Um, it was the big, you know, Dave Petromile, Gary Gate matchup. Um, you know, the, the players they had, um, you know, the Gates, Tommy Marichek, you know, Zalberti, uh, Matt Palin was the goalie. I mean, they, they had an incredible, you know, lineup of talent. Um, and then, you know, our, our squad was probably a little better on the defensive end with Quint in the goal, Quint Kessig in the goal, and Dave, um, you know, was the player of the year that year. Um, so it was, you know, a great matchup. It was a crazy game at College Park, you know, giant crowd, you know, beautiful weather, the whole, the whole deal. Um, and, you know, I joke about it. I, I held Paul Gate to like five goals that, that, that game. Um, and I, I didn't actually play that horrible, but he just had a great game. And um, I, you know, there's plays in that game, you know, Paul Gate had a, had a 30, 40 yard sprint on the run behind the back pass. Um, and like nobody had ever seen, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a play like it, to be honest with you ever, um, in a real game. I mean, and this was the national championship. He just was running down the field, you know, like a couple steps inside the, the, the midfield line, I felt like, and hit a, hit a guy like behind the back on a rope for, for a goal. Um, that was like, I think even guys on the sideline, guys on the field were like, what, what did he just do? Um, but yeah, I mean, that rivalry was crazy. Um, and uh, that game was a crazy game. And again, they, you know, Syracuse won it, you know, through my first three years, my freshman through junior year. Um, and then, you know, North Carolina won it my senior year. But that, that rivalry was incredible. And, you know, hopefully it continues today. You did better than we did because we, us Greyhounds, played them the next year and scored the first goal. Chris Colbeck scored the first goal. Kronberger got in a fight to stir him up. And then Gary and the rest of them scored the next 14. So don't, don't feel too bad. We took it on the chin big time. It's, it's so cool listening to you. It's one of the reasons I love the show. It's just like the history lessons uh, from the guests. So um, that pass that you're talking about and that matchup, you know, I've watched highlights of that so many times. Um, and it's just awesome to hear it firsthand. So, you know, yeah, I mean, if, there, if there's young guys and, and yeah. people have never seen that, I know that game's on, you know, on YouTube all over the place. Um, if you can find that pass, I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a better pass in an NCAA lacrosse game, much less a you know, a national championship game, maybe in any sport. I mean, it was incredible. Next thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, really for a quick MLL history lesson. Uh, I know you played in the, the early phase of the MLL um, as well as the wings and internationally. So let's talk about the MLL and the professional outdoor and your involvement. Well, I was uh, an assistant coach at Hopkins um, and I actually got the opportunity to be like um, in on the, you know, the first draft and be a part of the, the Bayhawks and took that opportunity to be the coach of the Bayhawks and like draft that first team. Um, and uh, you know, things to be honest with you, were really good for a year and got a little bit crumbly after that. And, and I ended up leaving um, and I ended up playing for a couple of years. I played in Boston, um, for a year, uh, which was really cool. Um, 
and then and then played i didn't really want to play but um you know john d tomaso was like i'm trading for you uh, my wife was like go play go play i was i was trying to figure out she's trying to get me out of town so she could meet with her <laughs> or um but uh it was you know cool experience and again for for the young kids that don't know, I mean, the club, the, you know, back in the day when, when you were, when you graduated, you played club um, and, you know, you just kind of went where you wanted to go and, and played on a club team. Um, and, you know, and then all of a sudden a lot of that kind of transferred and it got a little, you know, more serious and you got drafted and played in the MLL and it was just a, a really cool experience. And, you know, warrior and Jake and those guys, you know, did some really cool things and, um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was fun coaching in that league. It was fun playing in that league. Um, you know, there was only, you know, a couple teams and there was a lot of really good players and um, it, it just, it was a fun thing. Um, it's good to, you know, see the pro game still going. It makes sense. I think that merger makes a lot of sense. And I guess it wasn't a total merger or whatever happens. Is I, I don't think, you know, our sport can handle probably two pro leagues right now. Um, but um, it, it's kind of cool to see where that stuff, you know, went um, and it's still going. So. The amount of big names, Coach, in your lacrosse life is just amazing. All the influences and people that have influenced you and that you've influenced, that you've played with, played against, it's, it's almost staggering. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that, you know, just trying to put my thoughts together. Um, I have been, I mean, I've been super lucky. And, and I guess, you know, um, when, you, when you play, you know, at a place like Hopkins and you play in the pro leagues and you play on the club teams that I played for and been lucky enough to be on the U.S. teams, um, I mean, I guess there's a lot of guys that have been through that stuff, but um, I mean, those experiences are incredible. Um, you know, the, the teammates, the, the friendships, um, the, the, you know, just the cool games that I've seen and some of that stuff. I mean, I'm super lucky. I'm super blessed. I mean, I think I talked about it in my induction speech in the, in the hall of fame. Um, you know, I just feel like, you know, super, super blessed to have the, the career that I have to have lacrosse be such a big part of, you know, my life. Um, there's some, some incredible moments and, you know, the, there's a lot on the field, but there's a ton off the field. And that's the one thing that, you know, I still, you know, I'm so grateful for is just the friendships and, you know, the teammates and, and, and the stuff that I've had, um, you know, even some guys that weren't great players that were just such good friends and still such good friends. I mean, just, just, you know, and Billy, you know, you were part of the wings. I mean, that, that organization, that group that we're a part of, um, is incredible. I mean, it's, you know, influenced so much of Philly, Philly lacrosse. Um, but for me, it's just the, the, the guys like the, and the friendships and, and the quality of people that were a part of that. Um, and, you know, I was lucky enough to be a part of that. Right. So um, that's a really, it's a really cool thing in my, in my life, not just my lacrosse career. Yeah. I'd often said to coach Rash about those wings teams that we were so blessed to have that group of guys, those individuals gather at that period of time, and play with them like it was an amazing list of people and the spectrum would be packed and the place would be rocking and the games would be wild and governor would be smashing his head against the glass and nody be getting in a fight and it was well just... and then the shenanigans you know afterwards i mean which we can't <laughs> even probably talk about you know um but yeah i mean it's it just was a, you know we were very good too which actually even you know it was even more of it wasn't like you know, the craziness of the bad news bears or whatever. It was like, we were really good. We were competing every year winning, you know, winning and, and going against great players and great teams. It was, that was awesome. It was such a cool experience. Um, again, you know, the club stuff that I was a part of the, the Mount Washington stuff. I mean, the, the history of that club team and the, the guys that played and I played with and against, uh, the, I mean, the USA stuff, I mean, it's always something that I, you know, uh, 
you know, wanted to be a part of and, and kind of strove to be a part of and worked hard to be a part of. Um, I mean, those experiences, again, on the field and off the field are, are just amazing. And the friendships I've, I have with a lot of those guys, um, I mean, you just can't put a value on it. Yeah, the, so the USA stuff is really the, you know, the pinnacle in some ways to represent your country. And I only got a small taste being an assistant for the under-19. But what did it mean to you to put on that jersey? You played in two World Games gold medals. And I think you were defenseman of one of the games, correct? Defenseman of the games. Even scored some goals, right? You scored some goals. Is that, did I read yeah, that correct? I mean, that's how you get to be the defenseman of the year. <laughs> you score some goals. So what did it mean to play in those games and wear those jerseys and have metal around you? Um, I mean, it meant a lot to, and it still means a lot to be honest. And, and, um, you know, somebody asked me something about the hall of fame and I'm like, as a player, you know, you never really grow up saying, I want to be in the lacrosse hall of fame. I'm, I'm super, you know, privileged to be a part of that, but that wasn't something that was like a goal. Um, but you know, I, I, I actually saw the world games, um, you know, in we, our family went up to the world, the world games in Canada and Toronto. Um, and I, and I saw those when I was young and, and that was something that I was like, I, I want to be a part of this thing. And, um, you know, even growing up, I remember having a conversation with a, with a kid that wasn't, you know, it was just a, a guy that I went to high school with and we started talking about that stuff. And I was like, you know, I want to do that one day. And I think he looked at me like I was crazy. Um, I mean, even when I was in college, my wife, you know, would break my chops about, you know, not studying enough and not working hard enough in school. And I would talk about, you know, she was like, you know, goals that I had. And I, I didn't have a lot of academic goals, but I had a goals in the lacrosse field. And, you know, again, I've been blessed to, to accomplish a lot of those things. And, um, you know, being a part of the, the USA team and, you know, having Coach Seaman and, um, you know, Dave Cottle and Skip Lickfuss and, you know, Fred AC as the coaching staff. And then, you know, in, in 98 with which Coach Tierney and, you know, Jeff Long and, and some of the guys that were on that staff. And just, again, the guys on the team um, that were just awesome. It was just such an awesome thing to be a part of um, with those guys and, and winning those games and, um, you know, represent your country was an awesome thing. Uh, but playing lacrosse at that level was just an amazing experience. In my last couple of years, we would play DeMatha at U.S. Lacrosse, the, U, the new U.S. Lacrosse. Of course, Jody Martin, your old coach, would play a big role in helping us arrange the game, and it was a special event. But we would get there early and walk through the National Hall of Fame, and I could see your plaque, and it's quite, quite the amazing accomplishment. Where were you that day when you found out, and what did it mean that night when you were inducted? Um, I don't really remember what I was when I found out, um, and I joked about it. I know I was like – they, the way they used to do the process that they would like announce like who was up for it. And then there was a couple of times that I didn't get it. Um, and then I think, you know, I, I joke about it. I was like, I'm not getting any better. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting any better as a player. They, 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 they especially if they come watch me play pickup now, I'm getting a lot slower and, and, you know, worse. You don't have anybody running a campaign or anything? Playing pickup hoops, but um, it was, a, it was a, you know, a total honor. I'd had the honor of um, inducting Mark Millen into the, into the hall of fame, I think the year before, maybe two years before. Um, and then, you know, when I, when I got in, it's just, I mean, it's a, it is a, it's a, a crazy honor. And again, I, I think I talked about it in my speech and said, it's just, feel, feel blessed to be, be a part of that stuff. And so fortunate to have the career I've had. Um, and then, you know, the, that, that, uh, that next time, um, Robbie Sheck inducted me and he ended up getting in a couple years after me. Um, so it was just, you know, just all that stuff's cool and the connections. And, the, and again, just, it's great to reminisce and on my plaque, I have a lot more hair. So it's great to remember back those days. <laughs> when I had a lot more hair and, and all that stuff. But just, again, you know, some of the stuff you remember is not even stuff that happened on the field. And, and we had so many cool experiences, 
you know, uh, you know, just training camp and, and stuff that, you know, we did and hanging out with those guys. And, um, you know, there's, I know there's a crazy story in, in 1994, I think it was, um, I, I get my, my, my things mixed up, but the one year we were, we were driving up, um, a bunch of guys from Baltimore, we were playing a, an exhibition game in Boston and we drove up to Boston in an RV. Um, and we were watching it, it had a little TV on it. We were watching a NBA playoff game. Um, and all of a sudden, like there was no sound and we were talking and laughing and stuff. And, uh, something broke in and there was like a, a, a big white Bronco on a road and we like had to pull <laughs> off the thing. And it was like the OJ Simpson thing. And oh, wow. that's the thing I'll never forget, like where I was, like, you know, when, when that stuff happened, I was in an RV with like a bunch of team USA guys <laughs> from Baltimore and we were like driving up there trying to figure out what was going on. It was like the craziest thing. Um, and for, you know, again, people that are young that don't realize what that was all was, I guess everybody saw that the, the special on it, but it was such a, just a crazy thing. It's just crazy part of your life. Yeah. Great stuff, coach. Sounds like memory lane for you, for me too, indirectly. So many names in common in our Baltimore lives where our circles were slightly different. So many of the people, you know, intersected along the way. It's great to hear Rob Shack and Dave Lithicum and all these names that I haven't thought of in, in lots of years. But you were a, a great guest. We're so grateful. We're going to wrap this up with the quick homework section, which we call our rapid fire. Let's go! So that's a little bit of homework for players, parents, or coaches. I'll, I'll lead you through this, and you just give these folks some quick homework as we go, all right? So you ready to do this? Sure. All right. What's your quick homework for a player who's listening? Uh, you know, again, I talk about it all the time. Like you gotta, you gotta want to do it. Um, and you gotta want to, you know, if you want to be a great player, you want to be a great violin player. If you want to be good at something, you got to work hard at it. Um, and you can make that hard work fun. I mean, you can go out and do some fun stuff with it, but, um, you gotta like, you know, make time and, and make effort. Um, you know, you can watch film, you can watch games, you can, you know, do stuff, but you gotta eventually get out there and just, you know, if you want to be a good lacrosse player, you got to, you got to play lacrosse, you got to have your stick in your hand a lot and be a part of it. Um, so I, I would say that's my biggest advice to, to kids. Homework for a parent who's listening. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit, it's almost the opposite. It's like, you know, help, help your son or daughter, um, you know, as much as they want it. Um, they got, they got to be the ones that say, Hey, do you want to go out and play catch or Hey, can you drive me to this place? Um, if you're the one that's like pushing everything um, you know, from my experience as a college coach, it, ends, it usually ends up not working out so, so well at our level. How about homework for a coach who might be listening? Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I you know, I, there's, I think I could help younger coaches. I think I could help, like, you know, people at different levels, you know, guys at the college level. I don't know. They, they, they got to figure their own thing out. But, um, again, I think they're, you know, the one thing that I always try to do is, like, pick something that you like, you know, when I'm watching film, I'm like, Hey, that they ran that man up play. You know, we have these guys, we could do that same thing. Um, you don't always know, you know, everything. Um, and there's a lot of smart people out there. Um, you know, not just in the lacrosse industry, obviously, but there's a lot of people that know, know things. Um, so don't be afraid to like pick something off of it or pick somebody's brain, um, to try to, to try to get better. And last, what are you reading or listening to these days? Um, uh, well, listening to, to me means music. Um, I, I'm not a podcast person. Um, I don't, I don't even really know how to do the podcast. I, I, it's probably pretty easy, but I've never really listened to a podcast to be quite honest. Um, and my reading has been pretty tough. Um, you know, and I talked about some of the migraine stuff that, that that's driven me a little bit crazy. Um, but my reading, uh, you know, again, I, I said it earlier, I don't really do like a lot of the coaches books. 
Um, when I read, I, I try to read like, you know, pretty easygoing, um, you know, fiction and just like hopefully do it on a beach. So I haven't read much these days. Understood. I like it, Coach. Thanks so much. Coach Coop. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we really enjoyed picking your brain, hearing your stories, walking down memory lane with both of you guys. Uh, for Brian Volker, our producer, Justin, Coach Leahy, and myself, we're signing off from Concha Hawken, and we thank you for listening. We were great, Coach. Thanks. You got it, man. I think you're a rock star. You're going to put us over 10,000. Easy All right, right there, listeners. I'm going to be disappointed if I don't get the, the numbers up.